No, it was it the uh, the ticket bank that was being talked about this morning on the radio as opposed to food bank. I know. Which we know about food banks yeah. and they're brilliant. And I don't know which genius came up with this idea, but that, that basically all sorts of cultural houses uh, are going to be giving unused tickets to this bank and, the, you know, uh, and like a food bank, you say, you know, you know that you're, you have to say there's some kind of proof yeah, that's required, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. That- yeah, they're giving out. So it's a cultural philanthropy foundation yeah. and cardboard citizens. And the idea is that from January, they're going to offer thousand tickets a week yeah, yeah, to yeah. people who just can't afford to go to the theatre. And they will literally, I think they're giving them out through food banks. It's yes, one of yes. the places they're giving them through. Yeah. And Centrepoint and various different organisations where they know that the people who are using them just couldn't afford to go to the theatre yeah, at yeah. all. And it seems such a good initiative, especially after what we were talking about last week, about oh, the fact completely. that um, access is shrinking so much to yes. culture. So, but just sort of poetic that it's, that it would exist alongside a food bank, um, you know, and, and, and that, that pe- it's the last thing that anybody would expect. And yet it's absolutely perfect because it's sort of, it's healing on, on both scales. Here's some food yeah. and here's... Here's an activity. Here's something that will enrich you in other ways, and that's just as important. And yeah. that is your right. Yeah, and it's cheering because um, also this week there's been a report out saying how um, increasingly working class people aren't going yes, into yes. the arts, which the is the sort of the Guardian. Yeah, yeah, converse of it. And actually, that was fascinating because it said I, I think this is right that in the 1960s. Um, access to the arts there were about 16% of people wow. coming up yeah, yeah. and now it's dropped to 6% God, and actually sad. what was really staggering about that to me was that it was 16% when it was you know kind of going well because yes. that, that is such a tiny percentage yes 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 um, and that it's 6% now is yeah. is really kind of grim it's and just it's just so awful yeah and it and it does alter in terms of you know voices and what people actually write about yes and what they care about it makes a difference because yeah. it means that you know um i mean there are also uh websites that that you can put your name down and that you know theaters and uh opera houses and music halls and and such will paper the house when they you know they haven't sold all the seats so you know things like that are available but again it's feeling that you have the right or that feel or in fact having access to computers yeah. you know in your own home or a phone that has you know uh has an internet on it you have to have those sorts of things in place before again you can put yourself down for them but i i just think it's such a beautiful thing and i wish someone had done yeah, it well, ages the, yeah yeah the, the brilliant thing about the ticket bank it seems that you know it, it takes out all that out. So yeah, that yeah, if exactly. you're at the Longford Trust or St Barnabas yeah. or whatever, you're right, here here is some food, here is some help with housing, and yeah. here is something else which you might be interested in and yes. that will um, help you and, uh, yeah, feed you in a different way. And yeah. I, it is it is a really kind of brilliant initiative and hats off to the people who've come up with it because yes, it just, yes. it feels like, you know, a, a bright, bright deed in a difficult world and... Um, you know, and it's nice coming up to Christmas. I, I wonder if they announced it yes. now because it only starts in January, and I wonder if they announced it as kind of Christmas present and a bit of kind of ooh, yeah. Or they'll they miss out on the pantos, but they will miss out on the pantos, which is our sort of subject this week in uh, this week's instalment um, of, as the actress said to the critic, with me, Sarah Crompton, the critic.
And me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And we thought we'd talk about Christmas shows, Christmas shows we have loved, pantomimes. Yeah. <laughs> and also, well, let's start here with the incredible number of Christmas carols that are yes, around. Yes, It's extraordinary, but they are all completely different they in are. so many ways. And we've got, uh, I, I really want to go and see uh, the Dolly Parton, <laughs> uh, the one at the uh, Royal Festival Hall. Yeah, Dolly Parton, Smoky Mountain yeah, Christmas yeah, yeah. Carol. It's, it's worth it for the title alone. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, and her, yeah, songs. I love the idea of yeah. a sort of Christmas. But we've seen uh, the old Vic, the one at the old Vic, which has been done before, the Jack Thorne adapted a number of years ago and brilliantly they come back with different Scrooges. And this year it's the rather wonderful Owen Teal, who's just glorious. And uh, and I also got to see the one at the bridge, which is just wonderful. It's a three-hander telling the story. And it feels like there's a lot of the original Dickens. I think there is a lot of the original Dickens in that one, yeah. That's much more that you feel the novel is being told yeah. on the stage with Simon Russell Beale as Scrooge. Yeah. And I love that one. They do describe what they're doing all the time yes, with yes. the words of the novel coming in. It's a yes. very clever adaptation. Yeah, it's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. And I, when, I didn't know that at all and wasn't expecting it. And I took Nelly, my 14-year-old, and, um, and she was rather transfixed. It was, it was lovely. It and is funny how Christmas Carol has taken over. I mean, I haven't. The RSC have got one on. There are more in London. There's one at the Rose. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all RSC. over the country. Yeah, and it's it is interesting. And I I do get slightly Scrooge like about it because though I love it, and actually I went to the Ovid one and yeah. was. Um, to I sort of went in a very grinchy kind of manner, going, oh, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. like this. And it was November. And so I was thinking it's far too early to be having a Christmas show. Did they give you mince pies? At the uh, they did give me mince pies, but I was with somebody who's very hygiene conscious. <laughs> let me have a mince pie. She said, oh, I don't know where that's been. And I'm sure it was fine. Oh, yeah, like, I'm no, sure it was very, very delicious. But it, it is, uh, even I, in my kind of absolute Scrooge state, couldn't resist it. It's fabulous. And yeah. I think Owen Till's a really good Scrooge. Yes. But also Jack Thorne's done very interesting things with the novel. So he sort of gives Scrooge, a, it's a very contemporary telling, I think. Yes, yes. Gives Scrooge a backstory of being an abused child and yes. having a father who went bankrupt. And he also does emphasise the kind of community aspect of yeah. it. I love the bit at the end where lots of sprouts come down. Yeah, all of that is beautiful. And the belt, the campanology, camp- yeah, campanology, campanology, thank you very much, is just beautiful. And then, of course, you know, the, the message at the end about, you know, please give to, you know, Dickens wrote this story to emphasise poverty in London. Um, and I think there is an emphasis on the fact that, unfortunately, there there is so much that's similar about Dickensian London with what's going on now, the rise of poverty. Yeah. And, and it, you know, and that correlation couldn't be more important and, and necessary. And so the, the, there are the charity buckets as you go out. Yeah, they make a very direct appeal. It's and it did completely work for me. I mean, I did, um, I didn't do a charity bucket, but I did come home and, and do a donation yeah. because you thought if you have been moved by this story as, yes. as you had, yeah, yeah. then you must go and sort of do something. And I thought, I like the way that they make a very direct appeal that they yes. they absolutely emphasise. And um, it did it did suck the Scrooge out of me. I, I, was, all, <laughs> I was all jolly by the anyway. But I'd like, I mean, I'd like to prove that, um, that, that this preponderance of Christmas carols yes. is a new thing because I, I do feel it's slightly new in the sense that when I was 
originally going to Christmas shows, I feel there was a greater variety. And I don't remember huge numbers of Christmas carols. I do remember some. Yeah. And I did, but I did go back and look up. Yeah. Um, and of course, it was a hit as a theatre show right from the beginning. As soon as the book comes out, which is, you know, sensation. Yeah. Then people start to adapt it. And, and you know, Dickens himself. While he was still alive. While he was still alive. Oh, okay. Was doing um, theatrical readings of it and making people cry for Tiny Tim. Yeah. And so, I and it, it, yeah, and they're about, I think within, I think it's, it's something like um, within a sort of, a month of it coming out, there are five shows on the on the road um, wow. using it, of which they closed down three because they're not, you know, they're not yeah. copyrighted or whatever. He yes. didn't want them to be on. So it is, it has always been a, a Christmas treat. Yes. Um, and I suppose the moral of it just makes it so much, have such relevance because it says, you know, Christmas is a time to remember the poor. I mean, yeah, that is yeah. what it says. Yeah. And that idea, I mean, I, I, I like... I don't know if this is sacrilege to say, but the sort of pagan element of of being visited by ancestors and and sort of and being given the opportunity to change as a sort of uh, not parable is it a sort of moral story? Yeah. It, it it's just rather beautiful, and the idea that there's a sort of redemption, um, you know, plays into I suppose the the religious element of of the festival. Yeah, but that's a really and, good point because it yeah. is it's noticed absent or noticeably lacking in Christianity, yes. actually. Yes. It is a pagan. It's a ghost story. And that is a really good point that it makes the point about the spirit of Christmas. Yes. Without much mentioning the spirit of the religious Christmas yes, and of Christ. Yes. And, I think and that, then Marley coming back to say to him, look, you know, don't make the mistake that I did. And, and you know, and that for him to be reminded that he wasn't always this way, you know, which we forget about the sort of great journeys that have, you know, that we go on to become the people that we are and, mm. and uh, you know, and, the, and we're moulded by sort of the people around us and situations and, and what's handed to us and, and all of that I think is, it's a very human story yeah, as well and, yeah. and, and kids are transfixed by it because it has that ghost element yeah. and everything else. But then as he becomes less fearful and, and then, you know, understands the convention that he is, okay, okay, right, you're going to show me my future now, all right. Yeah. You you know, he makes that leap and then he's hungry for more and he's yeah. hung, he wants to know more and what happened to so-and-so. And it's like a George Bailey in A Wonderful Life. Yes, with it is. And, and it is, it's that thing, yeah. you know. I, th- I just, yeah, I love it. It is, you're absolutely, I think you're absolutely right and I think you have put uh, your finger on why it it is so popular at Christmas because it's not just that it speaks to always to a world that's too full of poverty yeah. and too full of rich people not remembering the poor. Yeah, yeah. Or even, you know, kind of moderately rich people not yes. remembering those who are worse off than themselves. But you're absolutely right. In the ghost story element is that kind of brilliant image of Marley carrying the chains. Yes. And and the chains are the sins. Well, in fact, he doesn't use the word sins, does he? He says, you know, he's misdeeds throughout his life. Yeah. So he is literally dragging those behind him and they weigh him down. And he says that, tell Scrooge, this is what will happen to him yes. in the afterlife. And Scrooge has the chance of transformation. And that's the central kind of uh, myth of Christmas. That's why I do like Christmas, even though I'm sounding a bit Scrooge-like. Yeah. I, I, I do love that kind of transformative myth that yes. you, 
you bring a tree into your house and you put light on it and you make your home look different and you... Um, behave in ways that make you feel better. Yeah. And if only you could preserve the spirit of Christmas throughout the year. And I think that is a part of what makes Christmas Carol so effective as a Christmas But it's interesting show. as well, I was thinking about Panto and thinking about, you know, it's such a ancient tra- tradition, you know, and, and has come from so many different um, conventions, or, or, you know, of storytelling across the world and throughout history. And and it's so fascinating. Joe and I um, went and, and, and ran a, a workshop last week for a load of students on Twelfth Night. An old friend of mine from university now teaches English. And he said, look, you've done this. Uh, are you free? And we were like, yeah, we'd absolutely love it. And we weren't sure how it was going to go. But they were fascinating and we loved it. We really, really enjoyed it. But the thing that I hadn't quite realised about Twelfth Night and what it represents is very much the time of year. And the Feast of Fools and that whole tradition of the rich playing poor and the poor playing the rich and not so much the cross-dressing. But it is interesting how the links with pantomime. Yeah. And it's something about that we as a sort of English culture relish this sort of music hall slightly. I I want a better word than grotesque, but I mean... It, the, the extremity of it, the, the extremity of the heckling and the costumes and the music and the jokes and the, and there's something so old school about yeah. it, and that we we throw off our rather staid, polite audience um, habit. That you know we're so polite generally in this country in our audiences, and then suddenly at Christmas we go, no, he's behind you, and all this yeah. and it's and it's old school. It plays into that culture, which is. So old and ancient and glorious, and 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 it, and it is fascinating yeah. that often you know there will be people that only go to the theatre at Christmas, at Christmas, and yeah. and that you know and that, that what they allow in themselves and the laughter and the fact that we have that tradition that you're able to sort of entertain the kids and then uh, have a completely different you know radio frequency for the parents and make rather sort of sordid saucy yes, jokes and and it's such a skill i remember years and years and years ago working with um john uh, john nettles who we were doing midsummer murders possibly in the last century but they, but um they, he is a massive fan of panto and got rather cross about not understanding quite you know the level of skill that's involved yeah. in really really good pantomime yeah, he's passionate true. about it yeah it's true i i am the um I have a very interesting relationship to Panto. So I suppose you're right that, you know, one of the things about Panto is it has got that kind of um, comedy dell'arte yeah, origin. Comedy, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, it is the Italians kind of yes. thrusting themselves into English culture. And then the kind of great musical traditions yeah. of I was reading a piece about um, Dan Lino, um, who, you know, had the picture. He was a really, really famous dame and he did exactly yeah. what you say yeah, of, yeah. of kind of having very smutty jokes for the grown-ups and then making the kids laugh. Because yeah. here he was, was a man in a dress with very high, high um, eyebrows. And he was directly from musical. I mean, you you know, just kind of complete transplanted yeah, panto. Yeah. But I was always, when I started to go to pantomime, I was always the child in the audience who dreaded being called up on stage. Oh, yes, yes. And everybody around me was kind of longing to join in for the song sheet and um, and to get a suite or to be called yeah, up to yeah. help. And I was sitting there absolutely cowering, yeah. thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And which was a great shame because the most pantos 
I saw were with um, Frank Middlemass as a dame who was in Oxford. And he was a very famous dame. Right. And I think was probably brilliant. But I was so desperate not to be called up that I was kind of carrying in a corner and not noticing his kind of great skill. And I think that's interesting that, you know, Ian McKellen is going around with his mother Goose and he was one of the great dames I saw. That's not a euphemism. Yeah, but we went. uh, We did see um, when the children were young um, the old Vic pantomime in which he he um, gave us gave us yeah yeah, yeah, gave us his widow twanky. And I did an interview with him around that time, and he he so utterly loves the whole tradition of panto and sees it very much as being you know that moment where. Kids are introduced to theatre. They're allowed to behave as they want to. Yes. And it is full of skill and full of brilliance and full of kind of fun. And yes. He, he loves it. And I'm interested that this Mother Goose that he's doing is touring until April. Oh, wow. Because I do remember what he says, that in the northern theatres... The Panto would be a show that came round. It wasn't just at Christmas and it did go oh, on a okay. bit longer. Okay. Um, and I think that that's interesting. That, But that's the same idea of of it just providing us kind of entry point yes. for fun and uh, jollity. And truth, I mean, they're not real truth telling, but good Pantos have got a kind of heart to them because everything always turns out yes. and you boo the villain. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, yeah, and he goes off and he's, he's you know, there's, there's a sense in which Panto sets the world right, yes. I think. I want to write a, a, a Panto, although I, I wouldn't even know where to start, which is a sort of Justice League style bringing together of all the sort of central characters of traditional Panto, the Jack and the Beanstalks and, you know, the Mother Gooses and the Aladdins and the Robin Hood. And they all come together to fight off the evil Lord Lackahope. <laughs> It's very good. I think I, anybody who wants well. to write it, please yeah, do. No, I, I, I just love the idea of, you know, because they did that brilliant film that the kids always used to watch called Rise of the Guardians, where Chris, uh, Santa Claus and uh, the Sandman and Jack Frost and all oh, yes, the people had to sort of fight off somebody nasty who I think was voiced by Jude Law. I think we saw it a lot of times. So I can't remember <laughs> the details. But, it, you know, it's the same sort of thing. And I and, and actually we go every year to the Greenwich Theatre to Andrew Pollard, who writes and often stars as the um, dame in that. And he is just brilliant. And I think it's interesting as well, that whole business of, as you say, the entry point of, of kids and the fact that often in pantomimes they're given... Uh, things like light up toys or, or whatever, um, which is allowing them to draw attention to themselves. Yes. So it becomes, as you say, part of this collective experience. Whereas traditionally we sit in the dark and we yeah. want to sort of disappear and lose ourselves in something. But it is that it's much more, as we've said in previous episodes, it's much more how theatre used to be, yeah. which is a sort of collective contract. Yeah. And that you heckle and comment and applaud and laugh in a really vocal, I am here presently supporting you and this venture, as a, you know, and it's much more like that. It is. And I do think actually, interestingly, that pantomime, or certainly the ones I've seen recently, 
um, because what's on stage always laugh about my reluctance to go to fantasy. Oh, I, no. usually, I usually do one a year. Yeah, um, yeah. But I like the lyric Hammersmith ones. Right. Yeah, that's one I often go to. And what I've noticed is there was a period, I think, yeah. in the maybe in the 80s and 90s where it all got a bit cynical. Oh, right. And the jokes were too crude and too blue. And it was all quite commercial and nobody. And, you know, you signed up your stars and they just all turned up and you yeah. There was a point in the year in about May when yeah. the Panto press releases used to start arriving in my inbox and it was all about, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Anita Dobson and Russell Grant. And yeah. I don't know. So all the stars of the soaps were going to Pantos. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they were very good, but the whole thing felt like a, a slightly commercial undertaking. But I oddly think that as Panto has sort of become more under threat and it's become harder generally to sell theatre tickets, yes. that it has returned to its true spirit and that there is much more emphasis on communality and the kids and actually you know writing good jokes good scripts um, relating it to a local community I mean that's a nice thing quite often the Oxford one was always related it always had Oxford jokes and the lyric one has uh, you know West London jokes I've been to the one at Stratford East that has you know, East London jokes. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and, and, and I, so that you tie it into a place and it becomes a part of something that it is warm and welcoming. And yeah, again, go, it is absolutely go back to what it belongs to you. Yeah. And I, I do think, certainly in recent years, my, my own cynicism about Panto yeah. um, has slightly um, gone down, though I still worry that I'll be asked to sing. I hate the singing. singing yeah. I, I hate it, but I know you should love it because that, again, is kind of a brilliant musical tradition. Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. I, I mean, I always like the fact that the, the, the sort of self-deprecating nature of you know, television stars, or, or you know, or yeah. who like not. I can't even remember if Dirty Den ever played as the baddie, but it's that sort of yes. thing, isn't it? You, well, I, think I, get did, bad... I think he did a turn as King Rat. Oh, is he? Well, this is it. You know, I love that sort of that humour, and it is something we're very good at in this country, which is that we can take the Mickey out of yeah. ourselves. I hope you know that, uh, and, and so actually, if you're playing somebody terribly serious on the television, but you're happy to dress up as you know, the baddie, pirate, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It was very funny years ago, uh, probably not that too many years ago, but Joe and I were driving through Wimbledon and it was the year that, now what's the name of that brilliant actor who plays the Fonz? In Henry Hatton? Winkler. Henry Winkler. So Henry Winkler, the Fonz, <laughs> yeah, I mean, forever the Fonz. <laughs> was crossing the road. And, of course, Joe and I grew up watching Happy Days. Yeah. So he was crossing the road because we were near the Wimbledon Theatre and he was there to do a panto. And we literally became, like, nine. Yeah. As he walked across <laughs> the zebra crossing, going, oh, it's the Fonz. Yeah. And, and I love that, that you could get these people from all over the world, brilliant, brilliant people, and that they'll sort of come to, you know, Wimbledon or, or as you say, Hackney or whatever, and don something possibly quite silly and just sort of slightly in self-mockery play this baddie or the pirate or the fairy or the whatever. No, it is true. I have to say tangentially that um, Henry Winkler came to the Hay Festival when I was working there with, oh, me, yes. uh, with a lot of my colleagues. And um, you have never seen so many grown-up people reduced to jelly so quickly as the moment <laughs> that he walked into the press room and everyone, hello, it's the fox. It's the fox. <laughs> 
And you realise that you know that is absolute love. That everybody <laughs> of a certain age who watched that show, yeah, yeah, and uh, he was lovely, and he let everybody take their photograph with him, and he was gorgeous. So. I love that though. Hooray I remember years Henry ago Winkler. seeing Tony Hart, who I grew oh, yes. up with, and I'm vision on. Yeah, yeah, he was. I think he was an exhibition that my mum had on, and and he was there, and I literally became about ten. And went, oh my god, it's Tony Hart, and he do you are, you know, and in that way. Again, it plays into that sort of collective thing. It gives the adults the opportunities to stop being sensible for a minute. And, and it does actually also seriously tie, I mean, in a, in a funny way, there's one of the dangers with uh, theatre is that it gets seen as something separate from television. Yes. And because television stars come into Panto, it's a moment that it does tie the two things together in a yeah. kind of rather beautiful way. And you see their origins. And I do think it's really interesting the musical side of it. I have, as I've got older, got more and more obsessed with how influential musical has been. This 19th century art form yeah, has come yeah. all the way into the 21st century. Yeah. And um, you see it all the time in asides and ballet is full of it, you know, right, because right. a lot of the choreographers, English choreographers were in, um, influenced by musical. I'm always fascinated that John Major's family were all in the musical. Oh, really? you know, yeah, so yeah. I just and I do think that link with an old tradition, which yeah. is is still going. Yeah. There's something kind of incredibly endearing as well as enduring about that. I like yes. that sense that it does go on and it still informs the theatrical tradition that young actors, you know, people like Clive Rowe. Yeah. Lot, you know, love playing a day. Yes, you yes. Know, and the frocks may now be sort of plastic polystyrene, but it's still the same idea of kind of outrageous costumes for yes. the dame and and all those little scenes that you get. You know, the um, the baking scene and the slapstick scene yes. and the chase scene, which is yes. always just brilliant when they yeah. come out into the auditorium. But then you think of like Morecambe and Wise and their Christmas special and stuff like that. There's so much of that which is. Just old school, as you yeah. say, old school comedy, but brilliantly done and done with the sort of people that grew up loving it. And so it's done with the most amount of respect and skill. And, the, you know, they studied the science of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's made to look easy and seamless and fun. And, you know, but it is, it is brilliant. I mean, it's fascinating. A friend of mine uh, who I did Murder in Provence with, Kiala Settle, who's a brilliant singer and, you know, was on Broadway for years and she now lives here and her father was English. And so lots of her, her sort of formative cultural experiences are from this country. But she's doing a panto this year. She's yeah, in Jack right. and the Beanstalk at the Royal and Derngate and, um, Theatre and, and she's just loving yeah. it. Absolutely loving it. And I think it must be extraordinary for her, you know, to, to have come from Broadway and, uh, you know, yeah, to be amazing. doing this. But it is, but it is interesting that there's a, that there is that similarity with musical theatre in a way that you can, yes. it's a similar size of performance. And that there's a, there's definitely a release in that, I think, for an audience. And I wonder why that, you know, sometimes you think, you know, like at the moment, straight theatre is really trying to find its place post-COVID, and but the musical theatre, yeah, has you know has is, is surviving and it is coming through, and and it and maybe there's something in, is it easier to escape in larger performances? Yeah, you know the 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 song and the and the 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 larger than life quality that you're not having, you're not being asked to relate. In the language of naturalism, 
you know, the mirror isn't quite so close to you. Yeah, that's and maybe, interesting. You yeah. know, and I and I wonder if there's something in that that there's a comfort, perhaps that is more immediate. Um, with, yeah, with maybe, a- maybe because certainly it is true. Um, there's, I, I think we're going to have a, a break for Christmas after this podcast. Um, and we um, hope you'll rejoin us in the new year when we might talk about how many new musicals are kind of floating yes. around. And I, I, I do wonder if you're right that there's a sense in which that kind of instant release yeah. into emotion and music and song is something that people do kind of crave at the moment. And I mean, obviously, I think musicals have always been easier to sell at many levels because yeah. people see them as a bit easier. Yeah, yeah. And even something like um, one thing I'm very keen on is, is um, Oklahoma yeah. is transferring to the West End in oh, January. God, amazing. And it, it's such a kind of radical production of a really great show. Yeah. And um, it shows how, you know, that, that whole idea about, you know, when you can't say it, you sing it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it absolutely proves that you can tackle really, really complicated yeah. issues yeah. of love and desire and desiring the wrong man within a musical framework. Yes. And I think there is some truth in that, that people are really, really looking forward yeah. um, to seeing shows that both lift them. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of musicals are pure enjoyment but they also do have that kind of very you're right very direct emotion but just slightly sideways it's just somewhere different well it's interesting with Oklahoma though and I think again a lot of the new musicals and sometimes music I mean I'm I'm really wanting to see Mandela as well I I haven't yeah um, you know I think when you use music to tackle something that's very sensitive you know it 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 come it's it's a more lateral approach and 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 I and I'm fascinated by that. I remember going to see Parade at the Donmar years ago, thinking, well, how's this going to work? And But it was just just jaw-dropping. It was so extraordinary. And, and, What's Parade uh, about? I've forgotten what Parade's about. Uh, it was about Bertie Carvel played a, a Jewish uh, factory manager who is uh, accused wrongly of sexually abusing a young Ooh, girl wow. right. and um, the community turn against him, that he was always the outsider, right. even though he ran this factory in the centre of this American community. I think that's right. Apologies if that's not entirely right. I think that's the basic story. But, you know, there were there was like a sort of dance in it, a sort of community dance, and you sort of think, well, this is seemingly a happy place, but because of the nature of what these people represented and how they were destroying this, this man's life, it became this sort of Hieronymus Bosch style dancing mm. on his grave. Yeah, yeah. Dark, dark thing in which the music was powerful for that reason. Yeah. And, and and so in a way, they they're sort of the the mediums are then borrowing from each other in terms of straight theatre and musical theatre. You you're you're using much, you know so much of straight theatre and straight storytelling. It's a very simplistic terms, yeah. but you know, but you put it inside that musical theatre prism and then and you can create all sorts of interesting yeah, is, new yeah. ways of of telling those stories yeah, and, and I, I find all that fascinating although I do love Guys and Dolls and I can't wait to see <laughs> yes, Guys and Dolls back. in the bridge yeah so we'll definitely do that in the new year and um, just to round up this year and um uh six months of podcasts amazingly yeah. um do you have a favorite Christmas show is there one that immediately springs to your mind on stage a, yes that you've just completely always loved uh God. Well, I mean, I have to say, 
that that watching Christmas Carol at the bridge told very, very simply in that way. It, it was just completely lovely. I'm trying to think. I was thinking, well, so I was thinking, I like the ones that make me sob. I think yeah, that's yeah. what I like about Christmas. Having said all these things about happiness, joy and welcoming people in. Yeah. The Christmas shows I love are the ones that make me cry. So the one I remember actually with kind of vividness was Corrin Boy, oh, which is about yes, the foundling show. And I've thought about that so much this year about that was the saddest Christmas show I've ever seen. But I think that would be the one. It was at the National yeah. and it was just the saddest show. But it was... You came out, it still managed to have that kind of redemptive quality. And I yes. do, that's definitely, I think, well, it's certainly in my top 10. Um, well, I, I mean, it's, I can't, my brain's not working fast enough for me to remember things. But I, I definitely, we, Joe and I are going on Friday to listen to the Salvation Army Brass Band. Which I know it isn't theatre, but it sort of it is. It is, sort of. And because Joe grew up in the Salvation Army. I, he's just like, have you just bought these tickets to watch me cry? Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, no. Um, but it's just so beautiful. In fact, he's playing the trumpet tonight. Some friends of ours uh, have a sort of collective in East Dulwich and they take to the streets and have a band of about 50 or 60 oh, horn players brilliant. and they walk around the streets of East Dulwich and it's just so beautiful. And so he's he's been practising yeah. Christmas carols at home. And actually for years he, he wouldn't. Um, play his trumpet for me personally um, but, but now it's out I think, uh, and it's been really lovely yeah so Christmas Carol is great by Charles Dickens but Christmas carols are definitely the thing yeah. I, I came across them at Paddington Station the other day and was immediately reduced to tears because it, yes. it was they were singing in the bleak midwinter and it was oh, just gorgeous. God. I obviously spent a lot of Christmas crying, but I think <laughs> so. I think we should end this episode by yeah, ho yeah. hoping that everybody has a, a Christmas full of yeah, not happy happiness, not of tears, um, and whatever and they, they stay want. Warm, please stay warm. Stay warm and happy, and we look forward to coming back to you in the new year. Yeah, twenty twenty three. And so that's goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.